Yeah, literally, it does, doesn't it? Not tonight. You're not on the list. Hello, I'm Connor McLoon and welcome to the You're Not On The List podcast, where I interview and dive deep into the lives of those in the music industry. Everyone from artists and DJs to festival owners and promoters, we take a look at the early life and careers of those in the music scene. My guest this week is a bass music producer, DJ and event organiser from Oxford. He's had releases on Crewcast, 440 Records, 140 and has created the event series Can You Cope? He's DJed at Keep Hush, live stream sets in the middle of fields in front of turbines, it's Burt Cope. During this episode we discuss Burt's origins into DJing, what the worst thing is that has happened while he's been playing live and how the Fire Festival documentary led to him creating an event series. I guess this week is a producer, DJ, event organiser from Oxford. He's had releases on Crewcast, 440 Records, 140, has created the event series Can You Cope? DJ at Keep Hush, live stream sets in the middle of a field in front of turbines. It's Burt Cope. Burt, how are you, fella? I'm very good. I'm yeah, very, very you are? Good. Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you, mate. How are you doing? I'm well, mate. I'm well. We're at the uh, start of recording this towards the start of June at the moment. We're what are we now supposed to be two weeks away from when nightclubs and everything can open. Supposedly, supposedly, supposedly. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a little bit of news uh, at the moment where obviously there's stuff's a little bit up in the air, but um, yeah. we'll keep positive. We'll keep optimistic. Of course. It's, uh, it's supposed to be going forward and we're supposed to be going up for then. What's going to be the first event you're heading to in two weeks' time if we can get there? So the first event I've got coming up on Saturday is in Bristol, which is a Saturday event. So not quite the full flex, but it should be a good laugh. Uh, and then after that, I believe it's in Bath for the first proper stand-up event, which I can't wait for. Uh, should be a big bar. Played Bath once before, which is a good laugh. But yeah, can't wait. Yeah, mate. I mean, like, so have you been to many of the Saturday events? So I went to one in Abingdon in Oxford, which had Nicky Black market who else did it have a few old school like drum and bass dons honestly such a vibe like security were like dancing getting involved yeah went to one in bristol at high rise that was quite sick uh one in lakota as well i think bristol is like the main place for the sit down events you reckon yeah definitely definitely just because the energy of the crowd is like really really high in comparison to like the rest of the uk yeah definitely and also like the lineups are sick as well i think london doesn't really put enough drum and bass on it's i've seen it's mostly like house and sort of stuff yeah but yeah bristol 100 percent leading for the sat down events and then that first one that you're obviously going to be playing at where everyone can sort of be together um have you got anything special planned for like the first the first sort of like proper event back like are we talking like some mad crazy videography stuff or like any special set yeah if if it seems to sell out and does well i believe it'll probably be full camera like video should be good what's the uh what's the thing you're most looking forward to like what's the thing you're most looking forward to experiencing in in a rave i feel like just connecting with the crowd and the audiences being able to play out new sounds that i've made new tracks and just getting like a responsive energy from the crowd because that's the motivation i feel like in lockdown it can be quite hard to find that inspiration but when you're playing raves like frequently you're like face to face with literally the inspiration to make music because that's why you're making it to play it out to people who enjoy it yeah 100 percent. and do you sort of this is a bit of a tangent already but when you're playing a set is it oh like some djs will will plan their entire set beforehand obviously add cues 
cue points yeah. tracks will like because obviously some songs they want to blend into each other they've done refixes they've done edits they've done crazy stuff with cue points and then some djs will just literally go with the flow and be like oh well, i'm sort of gonna put this song and this song and this song in there but then i'm gonna react to what the crowd is like popping yeah. off to or what they're sort of like not feeling which one would you reckon you're sort of more like at the moment because i suppose it depends on your career as well like when you're yeah. starting off you might be like oh i'll just sort of go with the crowd and then as you get more and more popular and more and more experience you might be like right i definitely want to do this song this song this song this song because it's yeah. sort of like a tried and tested thing what's your uh what's your sort of go-to do you reckon so mate? my go-to usually is i think it all sort of depends who's playing before you who's playing after you if someone's playing bass line or garage after you i'm not going to really go to like drum and bass or like something too heavy which is going to sort of take away from what they're going to do but ideally what i like to do is garage into bass line into drum and bass Okay, so just upping the BPM sort of each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just raising the energy, bringing it up slowly, which is something I've sort of showcased in the live streams. But obviously, when it comes to live events, you've got to keep like a lot of other things into sort of consideration, which mostly is the other people on the lineup and what time you're playing. Uh, Also, like I do a lot of double drops, even with like bass and garage is fun to do like double drops as well. So I'd have like a folder of those two tunes together yeah so i know which tunes go together i can come back to them um but i don't do track by track because i feel like that just you lose the sort of momentum you lose the fun of it you're just going step by step by step rather than just going with the flow and then see yeah. what the crowd is getting from you and it seems like yeah like more clinical isn't it like it, it's yeah. better to be more natural because like you said yes. you can react to what the crowd's vibing and you might be like if you're literally just doing one track one track one track you know what's going to another one like you said you sort of it's almost like you it's a, like a straightforward scientific process then isn't it of as course, opposed to like just course. being natural and pulling for stuff what well, yeah. you just touched on there about saying like you want to look at the lineup and see like who's before you and who's after you have you ever because I haven't had the chance to ask anyone this yet. Have you ever had an artist, like you haven't got to name names, but have you ever had an artist or a DJ or a producer, maybe even like an organiser of the of the event, say like, we do want you to play this or we don't want you to play this? Yeah, so sometimes you can get a memo from a promoter, like I've had it before saying, do more of a commercial set, more of a crowd pleaser sort of set. Like when I played in France, I think it was like more of like a uni audience. So I had to sort of accommodate playing like bootlegs and sort of stuff, which I wouldn't normally like to do as much. I'd rather play sounds people don't know, sort of like um, sort of unreleased stuff rather than sort of more commercial stuff. And obviously I've had promoters saying like, oh, can you stick to a garage set for this or that? Um, But I think that's, then again, it's good to sort of be able to do sort of different genres and be versatile because you can easily slip into sort of different slots with like ease absolutely mate and have you ever have you ever turned around and been like nah like i'm not doing that <laughs> or like like thanks for the thanks for the request but no you're all um, right um not completely but i've been a bit like oh no like it's more like the uni sort of events i don't i i don't mind them obviously it's a good laugh but yeah I'd rather play music that I want to play rather than music that I know is going to get reaction, just like some crusty old bootleg. Yeah. So <laughs> for people that are listening that might not know what a bootleg is, so a bootleg is basically sort of a, unofficial a re- remix. A, an unofficial remix of a track. So yeah. it's a track that hasn't got signed off samples or hasn't officially been signed off by the original artist. Like yeah. a, a producer or an artist has made a remix of a track, not officially released it, but maybe released it as a free download or has it as like a dub plate that they just send out to certain people. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's interesting 
interesting to hear you say that uni crowds are like because I finished uni in like 2000, 2016, so Sick. 2013 to 2016, and bootlegs yeah. weren't well. To be fair, like baseline wasn't really popping off as much as it is nowadays, yeah. but like bootlegs weren't a massive, massive, massive thing uh, then. Nah. So it's interesting. And then obviously with SoundCloud and with TikTok and with loads of other stuff like that, they have grown in popularity over the last sort of like three, four, five years, like these yeah. unofficial remixes. Um, so it's interesting to hear that you've had from promoters saying literally like, can you up yeah. the bootlegs in this set? Like that's what we need to pull through. I think it also um, depends where you are in the UK. I think up north is is usually more responsive to sort of different things, different genres, like even uni events. I think down south, because I'm from Oxford, yeah. I find like a lot of the the students here they they want sort of more commercial vibes or they don't really like hearing the sort of more scatty stuff. Right. But I guess yeah. it's sort of subjective really where you are and what sort of crowd you're playing to, I guess. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And like, uh, we've had a couple of people on the podcast and regions in the UK do definitely seem to have a uh, have an influence on sort of like music tastes and have a, like you said there, Bristol, like having a big music scene, London being slightly more commercial and, yeah. and a bit more uh, saturated there. So just as you touched on there, you said you uh, live in Oxford. Just to start right back at the beginning, what was your earliest experience with music? Uh, well, my dad and my uncle are musicians, so obviously my family have been playing music around the house quite frequently from a young age. My sister's like heavily into music, so I'd say very family orientated, like getting into music, hearing different sounds, different genres, like not really sort of sticking myself to one genre, which I can sort of relate to what I do now, like listen to reggae, rock, like rap, like basically anything, I would be listening to it around the house. And did the, are they sort of like, have they been supportive with you? Like, has your family been supportive? Yeah, with, uh... very, very supportive, very supportive, yeah. I think that's, it's quite important as well to have like your friends and family to be sort of backing you at all costs because... Yeah, that's what gives you like the motivation yeah mate i mean yeah motivation number one but number two as i'm sure you're aware with social media with reach and with uh stuff being reduced on facebook and on instagram and on tiktok and everything a like and a share can go a long way at the start of your career can't it yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. and so what were your um earliest foundations to dj then mate so i think i just started off pissing about on virtual dj really and then that escalate well this would have been years and years ago i'd have been in school like probably like year year eight probably just pissing about on virtual dj just discovering music what like went well together dj wise uh then i got like a little one of them new mark controllers just everyone starts with that. the old new mark which track pro <laughs> didn't they the old new mark which track pro that's what i was yeah. old pro too and it, cheap and easy like it's good good stuff with um and then I started doing like community centre sets like around Oxford and then that gave me a sort of a taste for it and then I just continued pushing out mixes and then I started getting into sort of production as well. Do you think Oxford had much of an impact sort of or influence on your music career because there's obviously like the likes of Skepsis and a crew cast like Jola's crew sort of uh, hailing around those sort of ends. Yeah. Were they sort of people that you were I th- think Skepsis probably would have been uh, starting to pop off or starting to produce music a couple of years before yourself and sort of yeah. Do you think was there much of a much of an influence from that from that sort of area? So when the cellar was open in Oxford, yeah. that was 
a huge influence. The cellar was like uh, an independent underground venue in Oxford, which sort of hosted sort of independent underground music. And it had such a nice sort of community vibe to it. Like it was it was cheap to run events there, cheap tickets. It was it, it was like one of the last few clubs that actually felt like people are here for the love of music and the love of like community. Yeah. Rather than just sort of like some blank canvas venue, which just wants to take your money and just kick you out or whatever. So the cellar starting off, that was a huge influence for me. And that, in Oxford, I feel like now that shut down, there's not, not really, well, I can say there's nothing really here now for me that inspires me musically. Right. Uh, but that's why I'm moving to Bristol later this year. But while the cellar was open, that was huge. Like that and who definitely were you seeing there? Me. Sort of like what would what would be like a, a typical lineup in the era that was influential to you that you um, were like experiencing or watching? So the DJ Sammy Virgie, DJ and producer, he yeah. come up through the cellar. Um I know like crew cast, they did they Joe um Lajkri started through Move um and Switch and they sort of did events around like the cellar. They're like a general lineup probably would have been like Darkcy, Sammy Virgie. I see Karnanik there once, which was quite an obscure sort of. Yeah, so they're, they're two lads from uh, Bristol, aren't they? Yeah, they sort of yeah. run a uh, run Bandulu Music, which is a grime label that is strictly releasing on vinyl. So they've got quite an eclectic and sort of quite uh, well, personally, I've think they're fucking sick but like yeah. for, for to try to describe it to other people yeah quite an eclectic sort of early grime dark like dubby like type dubstep as opposed yeah. to like bro step type thing so you're you're obviously seeing those types of people come through the cellar and um, you're seeing those types of people play in oxford you started to like learn to dj messed around at school and then like djing on your controller and stuff like that what was sort of your first what was your first gig like your first proper so, yeah. sort of like i know you said you were djing around the community center but yeah. what's the big standout one for you where you thought okay. now this is this is something I feel okay so Oxford has this festival called Common People and I think they do um, an event in Southampton as well but that was like a two-day festival like a day sort of event in South Park in Oxford which is quite like a renowned park in Oxford um, and they have like some big lineups like they have Mine Yu Leng, um, Goldie one year um, and I played every year that it's, it would it was on. First year it was on, um, I was pretty gassed to be fair. I think I would have been like 17 so I wasn't even old enough to be in clubs yet and I was playing oh, wow. like, but yeah so that was quite good and that led on to me playing festival actually because the guy who was running the stage I played sort of sabotaged my set a little bit because I didn't know how to use CDJs at the time. Right. Um, and then this other guy who was hosting the brand of the stage, he said, bring your controller if you don't know how to use CDJ. So I brought it and the guy who was doing the technics on the stage, he got quite annoyed that I brought my controller and he sort of got a bit pissy with me um, right. and sort of sabotaged my set. So I only got to play like 20 minutes. What, he but, just wasn't doing like the changeover like yeah he just wasn't uh, he like, just wasn't happy really like i can't really remember the full details but he just was not happy with me using a controller all right um, music snob <laughs> literally he was eating like a massive kebab i was like oh god here we go Probably <laughs> <over."> and, then, <laughs> um, and then but because common people is run by the same people as festival um that led on to me doing festival, which was pretty incredible. Um, what year would this be? Because I might have been there. So that would have been 2016 or 17. Was I that believe. the final year that they were on the Isle of Wight? Or was that? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. it. That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was there actually. Oh, no yeah. way. Yeah, well, I think The Cure played. Uh, yes, as a headline yes, yeah that was it that was it that was yeah, it yeah yeah i was there i was there oh, um, i went uh who well 
Now nah, I won't ask you to bait out the person who was running the stage. But I'm sure we might be able to work out. So for people that are listening that might not know your sound or know you, I, I mean, I personally know you as like a, as a baseline DJ and as a baseline producer. And yeah. then recently, like you said, you've been producing drum and bass and DJing drum and bass and stuff as well. Like you've, I've, like, I think I first sort of came across you maybe a little bit before you featured on the Kiwi, uh, you know, the Kiwi, like Keep Hush, the Kiwi sounds one. Yeah. The stream. So for people that are listening, Keep Hush is similar to sort of like it's a, it's a DJ streaming channel on YouTube and they're on Facebook and stuff as well. They put on six events at sort of like smaller venues and curate lineups to normally like a sound and they've got really good underground artists and DJs on there from the drum and bass scene from grime from garage from bass line they're sort of like a the, the, they came after boiler room but have been really on the on the fucking ball with like upcoming DJs and upcoming producers and, and established ones as well and just like their videos and live sets are fantastic your sound like to me was quite a distinctive sound like the bass line sounds sort of yeah. like high frequencies and then your sort of your, your drum and bass is I expected it to sort of be made be similar but it's not what yeah. what sort of a what what spurred you on i suppose to like transition a little bit from from baseline into uh, drum and bass so the thing is i've always been producing drum and bass and i've always been producing garage and baseline as well yeah but i feel like my baseline i sort of had the most faith in so that's why i sort of pushed it to the forefront and ran with it and it, it seemed to work for me but by like behind the scenes I was always have I've always been doing like drum and bass as well but I feel like drum and bass is quite a hard one to crack I've only recently sort of feel like I've got enough confidence in my drum and bass to sort of uh, like release it on like a bigger scale do you, what do you think it is that makes it sort of harder to crack do you mean sort of like the actual production of drum yeah, and bass so like the, the sound design and stuff like that definitely yeah so the production side like the mix down mastering side of it is it's a different ball game really and so do you sort of have like any influences in your production like who do you think you were listening to or who do you think you were like vibing off of that you were like oh I sort of quite like this sound or I sort of quite like this sound so I like a lot of old school stuff like Nicky Black Market like always one of my favourite sets to see is Brocky in that um, but for sort of newer people the thing is there's so many like I like people like Upgrade and like I feel like Headex is bringing quite a lot of sick sort of unique sounds to the table as well so that um, sort of like jump uppy, yeah, like high energy. I'm I'm heavily into my jump up realistically. Yeah. I feel like a lot of my melodies and sort of sound design can sort of express that. But yeah, I say definitely more like the jump up sound. But I love my rollers and sort of jungle as well. Fire Festival is a huge example of how events and festivals can go downhill. It taught a lot of people about event organisation, but it also inspired some people to give it a go. And one thing that I sort of skated over there, but probably shouldn't have, Can You Cope, your event brand. Yeah. What was it? Like, when did you know it was the right time in your sort of career? Or when did you know it was the right time in your lifespan to like start an, a, an event series? So it's quite a funny story, really, because have you seen that um, Netflix documentary called Fire Festival? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was watching that and it was obviously it's an absolute disaster. And I thought to myself, no matter how badly like event could go that I would run it could never be as bad as that so straight away I'm on my emails and I'm messaging the guy uh, who used to run the cellar yeah and I managed to blag the last ever night at the cellar the closing night no way yeah the closing night of the whole thing sold out um went down really really well and that just gave me like a taste to do more events and I feel like 
after then it was it was sort of streams and now it's all picked up to doing like more events again but to start with it was definitely that documentary that led me on to creating the brand which is that's funny because obviously most people will watch that and think fuck me i'm not i'm not touching an event or i'm not touching <laughs> an, a, a festival with a barge pole like yeah. i've watched this i've seen how badly it can go i'm not getting involved <laughs> and you were like no nah, you know what it's not going to be as bad as this no, ever so no fuck it, let's just go for it and so what would you say is your is your favorite venue in the uk like besides maybe take the cellar yeah. as a given uh what would you say your favorite venue is apart from that one my favorite would definitely have to be Printworks in london as much as i sort of don't rate how london isn't pushing a lot more different sounds it's, it's quite heavily drummer based techno slash house and not much else um but Printworks is honestly just incredible incredible venue i've been there so many times i feel just like the production of it is just insane but i do i do prefer like realistically more intimate venues because it's just a, a lot more fun just being like in some dingy like venue sweating low ceilings type thing so yeah, yeah for people yeah. listening print works in london is probably what is it about ten thousand cap i reckon yeah. capacity oh, no. high ceilings in sort of an industrial unit that has got like yeah really 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 high ceilings probably like three three stories four stories high and then yeah like sort of it's i don't know i've never i you know it's one of the ones in the uk that i haven't actually been to yet really? and the only thing that i've heard like I've heard really great things about it. They've always done fantastic lineups. They sort of, yeah, they, they go on similar style to like warehouse projects where you've got stuff going on a, on a Saturday and sometimes a Sunday, sometimes during the day, sort of like huge, huge three rooms, massive lineups. But um, I've heard, I don't want to slag it off. It's not libelous really. <laughs> Are they, aren't they, is the sound just not as good because it's such a massive venue and the acoustic that I mean it sounds quite technical really but like the acoustics are a little bit sort of all over the shop do you know what they're quite clever with this because they've got like rows and rows and rows of rigs that go up the the hall right so okay. you're basically always standing by like a big rig. speakers yeah yeah so you can hear it like punching through your chest like no matter really where you're standing which i think is great well i must have just heard yeah i must have heard absolute shit then from someone, <laughs> from someone <laughs> else if that's the it, case if that's the case like unless that was unless they've only introduced that right okay yeah, yeah. so it might have been someone down. that went to the first sort of couple of shows and we're like oh you know what the acoustics or the sounds a bit rubbish like it's a yeah. sick venue and it's massive but if they've if they've um improved that by adding sound systems ho- yeah. the whole way through the venue then yeah obviously that's going to be that's going to be a lot sicker what's the, um, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you where you've been DJing live, mate? <laughs> so it's probably um, Bass Fest 2019, I believe, um, New Year's Eve. Basically, I was playing on the Bassline original stage slash the QB stage. Right. Um, and I don't know how this happened, but this girl I know from Oxford, I don't know, she wasn't on like the backstage pass or anything. She, I, I knew who she was with and she was just like in the crowd. Next minute she's on the stage. She's she's got through security in the back and she's <laughs> on the stage and she's like shoving and pushing me. And what, I'm while you're to, playing? Yeah, while I'm playing, like taking loads of snaps and like screaming and oh, shouting. God. And I couldn't focus on what I'm doing and I was shitting myself because obviously it's a big crowd. Yeah, was, it's a big event as well, isn't it? Yeah. New Year's Eve, big crowd, like there's yeah. a lot of pressure on you. And she was she started making me clang and I was like, no. And my mate Henry was like, get her off now, get her off now. And they thought she was with me, so they dragged yeah. her off stage. I see her a few weeks later, I was like, Do you remember this happening? And she genuinely did not remember it at all. Was she devastated? Like, was she was she gutted or was she like? Um, I don't think she really cared to be honest. Really, no shame, no, no, no shame, shame whatsoever. 
Wow. What did you say? And how long did she? How long do you reckon she was on stage for before security uh, like ditched good, her off? Good two minutes. Oh, that's not what you want, is it? Off a shoving as well. Bargy, that's not what you, Yeah, but oh, <laughs> was it probably one of those ones? Where she's just trying to get you like on her story, going like, uh-huh. "Oh, look, I'm on main stage at base fest." <laughs> like, oh, whoa, like, oh, that's probably, not what you want. Probably, that is not what you want. Uh, did you record the set? So I got a couple of videos which were quite sick. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know if you like recorded the set and listened back to it and thought, oh, this is where she comes in. You, know, you can hear yourself like mixing like, and clanging. No. Oh, yeah, that is not Someone what you want. Someone should have videoed it to be fair. Yeah, quite definitely. Funny. Lockdown meant that a lot of people started to learn new skills and hobbies such as DJing or music production. I spoke to Bert about his Buy the Producer sample pack, a platform which allows artists to offer up their sound designs for people to buy. So we've obviously had coronavirus, we've had a year off festivals, we've had a year without events, um, the music industry has changed, it's been a lot of pressure on a lot of people. One thing that uh, some producers have done to sort of, to change their output during lockdown, and one thing that you've done is um, buy the producer sample packs. So for people that aren't aware, producers who are sort of like, or artists who want to create and producers who want to get into creating music can purchase your sample pack and can purchase other artists' sample packs, which is sort of like a sound design pack, isn't it? So something yeah. like your sound, so your bass lines or your mids or your samples or one shots or stuff like that, people can buy. How did that sort of come around? Or like, how did, is this the first sort of sample pack that you've like created before? So I did one on my own terms quite a while ago, which did all right. Um, what? One, I think it's called Filthy One Shot uh, Bass Pack, um, which people seem to rate quite a lot. And then that was the first one I did. And then this come about um, in lockdown, obviously, it's, it's such a good like, opportunity to sort of give like, a section of my sounds and my sort of style away to people who are product- producing or getting into production. Um, I feel like it's, it's just such a good platform, really. Have you ever listened to a track and thought, ah, that's my baseline or ah, that's my sample you know of that without, without being sent it? Um, so someone sent me a track for mastering and I thought, hang on, these, some of these are my sounds. <laughs> well, they sent it but, to you to master. Yeah. And yeah, used and quite, like, yeah. Some of the sounds are mine. Did he slash she slash they like say like, oh, we've used your sample pack by nah, the way. No, nah, they didn't, they didn't. say no. Oh, right. But it's, it's, it's nice though to think like someone's using my sounds in their own work. Like it's, it's quite humbling. And, um, another thing about you your branding and your sound and everything your logo is quite distinctive like if it, if it was on, if it was on a lineup and it was your logo which is sort of how would you describe it? is it like bubble bubble font yeah sort of like graffiti bubble font graffiti like yeah, yeah type bubble font what sort of brought you around to designing that because it's eye-catching because i think like yeah. like i said apart from seeing you on the kiwi hush and a couple of other sets before i'd seen your logo and could could pick it out and be like, oh, that's a Burt Cope logo. Yeah. That's like there because obviously it's quite quite different to everybody else's in the scene. Like how important do you think that branding is for like an artist or a DJ like that? Because some people sort of don't have their own font or they might not have a graphic design pack or they might not have something like that where they just think, oh, I'm just getting on the board. But you, because of that, like yours, you're obviously like your sound is quite distinctive and your logo and branding is quite mm. distinctive that it, like it will stick in people's minds. And yeah. regardless of whether they listen to your set or not, they'll recognize your logo and be like, oh, don't. That's Burt Cope. Like, how important do you think branding is to uh, artists and DJs? So, yeah, it's heavily, heavily important because I think it it gives you a visual representation of what your sound is. I feel like if you can sort of see sound as a graphic, 
that is what your logo should be. Because obviously yeah. if, you, if you're making sort of techie stuff, it should be quite like a industrial looking logo. For my sort of sound is, is very melodic, sort of there's a lot going on and quite cartoony in a sense. So that's what the sort of logo resonates. Um, thing is I made the logo, well, I didn't make it, but I had someone make it uh, years and years ago. Uh, and I've made tweaks to it since. I've had tweaks done, but yeah, it's just always stuck, I guess, because it's although my sound sort of changes it always just sort of makes sense with what i'm doing i guess what do you wish somebody had told you at the start of your uh, at the start of your producing or dj career now mate that you've that you've learned from or what do you wish you've been told right like something a key piece of information that someone might be able to sort of take away or use uh, in their own sort of career i'd say experiment more with different software because i've always been very stripped back with what i what i use um and i feel that's because i sort of hate change i don't like to sort of be bombarded with all these like controls and stuff although it is is so useful to be able to be able to do more essentially but I feel like I sort of like having my set way to do things and then that's how I make music obviously I can experiment with different things now um, and obviously I'm always learning but I think back then I was just so stripped back with what I used and I feel like if I sort of learn different software back Back then when I started, I'd be so much better now because I would have had the experience and the, the years behind me with experimenting with more advanced technology, which would allow me to sort of make better music, I guess. So what is the uh, what is it that you use at the moment, mate, for your, um, for your productions? So do you know what? I, I tell people this and they're like, no way, but I use uh, GMS, in, which is a default sort of plugin in FL Studio. It's just one of the sort of ones you get for free. So Fruity Loop Studio is the uh, is the, the sort of the base program that you use. Yeah, yeah, there. that's the and one. And then, like you said, a load of uh, like third party extensions or VSTs that are yeah, like plugins yeah. for the program, just to sort of change like yeah, change the parameters in there. It's interesting that there's a lot of like Scream. Um, like I think I don't even know if he does it anymore but right up until very recently like produced a lot of his early dubstep on Fruity Loops Studios like I think Dizzy did Dizzy Rascal produced yeah. like a lot of his inst- instrumentals on Fruity Loops yeah. there's a lot of a lot of um, a lot of uh, big artists that uh, yeah have, have, have utilised Fruity Loops Studios um, but then do you find there's, there's like a, a snobbery as well in like producing between like, artists yeah. and, and producers like some people will will say like oh you shouldn't be using this programme or shouldn't be using that programme like have you found that in the past? I f- yeah I think social media you just sort of got to take it with a pinch of salt because a lot of these sort of production groups they sort of frown upon fl studios a lot of people say oh ableton's the best fl is the worst and mm-hmm. then people just sort of feed into that when realistically it's just it's what works well for you use it like everyone has their different way of working and different software will accommodate that yeah there's a yeah there's a million people that have uh what's the phrase it's like oh, all the gear no idea yes can have like yeah, the most thousand exactly. pounds worth of equipment thousand pounds worth of studio equipment or physical hardware or stuff like that and um and just have no use to it and produce nothing yeah and then like you said you can you can have the opposite side where someone uh not saying that yourself does but someone has a cracked version of like fruity loop studio or someone has a just a, is just starting out on like early early stuff and can produce like a top 40 track yeah exactly like, it's, like you said it's all about your drive yeah. not about your personality as opposed to like what sort of gear you have of course um what do you class as a win nowadays mate a win as in just in like in your career or sort of like yeah. for the for the brand can you cope or for like your personal career um, i feel like 
keeping the same sort of style and the same sound and the same sort of branding and everything, but being able to push it into sort of different places, covering different ground, I guess, and obviously expanding the audience and sort of making people happy with what we do, I guess. Listen, mate, I've told you once, I've told you twice, you're not on the list. All right, all right.